Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat. Uh, today it's important for us to acknowledge something that we would, uh, we would rather not acknowledge. Uh, today, as we open God's Word, it's going to be important that we say something out loud we don't want to say out loud. Today it's going to be important that we uh, admit something we don't want to admit. Uh, today it's going to be important that we acknowledge that it's possible for us to live an entire lifetime and have wasted it. Now, that may sound like a discouraging thought to start our time, but it's important that we start from this premise, that it's, it's possible for us to live the amount of years that God allots to us on this earth and have spent those years pursuing things that at the end will account for nothing but waste. Now, that might be a discouraging thought, but what's encouraging is I know that in a room full of you all today on a Sunday morning, we're here this morning because we don't want to live a wasted life. We want to live a life that at the end of the line, when we stand before our maker and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, that's what we're all after. And yet it's important for us to acknowledge the fact it's possible for us to live and have wasted it. That's what makes today's passage so crucial to us. Uh, if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 20 is where we're at this morning. If you need a Bible under a seat close by, you'll find one. Get it open to Acts 20. And as you open to Acts 20, let me tell you a bit of the background of what's going on. And, tell, and let, then let me tell you why this is so crucial for our life today. But in Acts chapter 20, Paul has uh, spent three years of his life and three years of his ministry in one city, the city of Ephesus. He spent more time in Ephesus than any other city in which he ministered to. And now in Acts chapter 20, he's going to leave Ephesus. He's going to uh, pull out from Ephesus. And he, um, the beginning of Acts 20, verses 1 through 16, are just kind of Paul's traveling plan over a three-and-a-half-month time frame. Basically, Paul goes over to Greece where he winters. And then from there, Paul's going to set his face on getting to Jerusalem. He is... He is fixated on going to Jerusalem. And so it's on his way back from Greece to Jerusalem that he is going to go by Ephesus. Not to Ephesus. He's going to go by Ephesus. Um, um, a, a town, a city about 20 to 30 miles south of Ephesus. He's going to stop in the city of Miletus. And in Miletus, he's going to call the Ephesian elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, he's going to call them to him in Miletus, and he has something to say to them there. And what we're going to look at today is what Paul has to say to these leaders in the church of Ephesus with his last face-to-face -face interaction with them. I want, us to, I want us to kind of feel what this would have felt like, the emotion of this moment. Paul knows this is his last face-to-face -face interaction with these men. He's going to tell these men, this is my last face-to-face -face interaction with you. I want us to hear what Paul says today as if a father has just called a family around a bed knowing that this might be one of the last opportunities he gets to address a family. What does Paul say to these men? What does he devote attention to? What does he devote time to? 
with his last face-to-face interaction with a group of people he spent three years of his life who he loved deeply, what does he want to leave them with? We're going to read all of what Paul says, starting in verse 17. But then we're going to zero in this morning on one verse. We are going to unpack in detail and with time Acts 20, 24. And here's why we're going to unpack in detail and spend time are the whole amount of our time today in Acts 20, 24, because I believe Acts 20, verse 24, is God's plan to us to not waste our life. And we're going to hear what God has, amen. (laughs) And we're going to hear how God tells us today to not live a life that at the end will be accounted as waste. Pray with me and let's ask for God's help. God, help us now. As your word is open in front of us, God, we ask you to speak. God, as your word is open in front of us, Lord, we believe the truths of what you say about your word. It will not return void, that it's living and active, that it will accomplish what it sets out to do. God, please do that. God, would nothing from this pulpit be anything other than what your word says here? God, would you guard my mouth? Would you guard our minds? Lord, would we, would we just fixate on what you have to say to us today? Because, God, we don't want to live an entire life and have wasted it. And so, God, teach us how. Teach us the life that accounts for great gain. God, please do that through your word this morning. And I pray for your power in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them. Now, um, I want you to, we're used to Paul preaching. We're used to Paul being in front of a mixed mixed congregation, um, um, Jews who are believers, Jews who aren't believers. We're used to seeing Paul in the marketplace preaching to Gentiles, trying to convince them that a Savior has come. This is not that tone. This is now Paul with a, with a small group of leaders from the church of Ephesus. And this is an intimate, like, hey, guys, I'm looking you in the eye. These are the final things I want to leave with you before I head to Jerusalem. And I'm going to try to read that accordingly. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. 
For I did not shrink from declaring you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men uh, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And now feel the emotion of this moment. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, so much that we could focus on from what Paul says here, and I'd encourage you this week, every day this week, read Acts 20, 17 through the end of the chapter and just ask God, Lord, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. What do you want me to see from this? But I want to spend the totality of our time in verse 24. And I want to spend the totality of our time in verse 24 because, as I said before, I believe verse 24 is the game plan from God on how we don't waste our life. All in favor of that, say aye. Aye. Acts 20, 24. But to understand what verse 24 says, we have to understand what he said right before this. Verse 22. He says, now behold... I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Think about what he just said there. Hey, guys, it's time. I'm going to Jerusalem. My face is set there. God's calling me there. I don't know what's going to happen, but here's what I do know. In every city. Now, notice what he said. He doesn't say, in every city, based on past experience, I know what's coming. He could have said that. Every city he's been to, imprisonment and infliction, he says, in every city that I go to, the Spirit testifies to me that imprisonment and affliction await me. He says this to a group of people who love him. Now imagine someone you love dearly, a spouse, a son, a daughter, a dear friend, a family member comes before you and says, here's the deal, I know God's called me to this city I don't know what's going to happen, but here's what I do know. Um, Prison is awaiting me. Afflictions awaiting me. Beatings awaiting me. Um, what What would you want to say to that person? Then why are you going? Don't go. Like, Paul, if you know that prison and affliction are awaiting you, why would you go? How do you have the strength to go knowing what's awaiting you? Verse 24. I don't know what's going to come. I do know imprisonment and affliction are awaiting me. Verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. 
Just stop right there. How does Paul set his face on going to Jerusalem? How is Paul resolved to walk right into the lion's mouth of persecution and hardship? It is because of what he says at the very beginning of verse 24. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. This is the foundation. This is the starting point. This is the the, the starting place of how we don't live a life that is wasted. And it's this, that we consider our lives, that you consider your life of no value. The starting point of a life unwasted is right here, that you consider your life of no value. Now, this sounds so countercultural. This is not a statement you will find if you go pick up a book in a bookstore on boosting your self-esteem. It won't say this. Starting point, consider your life of no value. It's crucial that we understand this little statement that Paul throws into the middle of a speech he's giving to people he loves. He says, why can I go to Jerusalem? Why can I follow God in this? Because I don't consider my life of any value. And I don't hold it as precious to myself. Okay. What does that mean? It is important that we take some time and ask three questions under this first point that help take this abstractive idea of us living in a way where we don't count our lives of value um, so we can take it from the abstract and we can make it concrete. And the first question we have to ask is this. What does this mean? What does it mean to account our life or consider our life of no value and not as precious to us? I think what this means is that as we look at the value statements of our life, What is valuable to us, what is supremely valuable to us, is that our heart has been so gripped with this message called the gospel. And we are so enamored by the grace of God. And we get that, like, the only reason I'm breathing today, I'm upright today, that God put me on this earth, is to bring him glory And so what this means is the value, what I value is Christ being honored, God's glory being pursued, the gospel being preeminent in such a way that it has led led to me dying to myself. Like I'm just just dead to myself. You're like, is that that scriptural? Paul says elsewhere in his letter to the Galatians, um, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I want that. I want to be able to say that. But I stand before you as our congregation to say, I've kind of at times crucified myself. But most of the time, I'm not really crucified to myself. Most of the times, I kind of like living for myself. And anyone relate to me on that? I think, what does this mean? It means we've been crucified with Christ. The gospel has so gripped our heart that we're just dead to ourselves. Why, the second question under this first point, why is this crucial then to an unwasted life? Here's why this is crucial. When the gospel has so gripped us and the glory of God has so consumed us, when we 
when we see that we're dead to the old us and we're alive to Christ, what this means is we will now follow Christ wherever he calls us and into whatever he calls us to do. We will go wherever he says to go and we'll do whatever he says to do. And even if that's dangerous and even if that's costly and even if that could cost us our life, we say it's okay because I never valued my life as supreme anyway. This is why it's crucial. This is why Paul can say, here's why I'm going to Jerusalem, even knowing what's coming. I don't, I don't value my life. It is of no value to me. It's not precious to me. What's precious to me is the honor and glory of Christ. What's precious to me is obeying him even when it's costly. And he says, this, this, this is why this starting point, considering our life of no value, is absolutely crucial for us to live an unwasted life. Because if, if we don't, if we value our life, if we see our life as valuable, and if we, if we consider our life as precious, we will only make decisions at life that lead to one of two things. The exaltation of ourself you're like, no, I don't exalt myself. I don't, I don't, I don't. Or it'll lead to this, a different form of that. The preservation and protection of self. So I'm never going to make a decision that could lead to, not, to, to me not being safe because I'm trying to preserve and protect myself. And Paul doesn't even have a framework for that. He's just like, but, but, but Paul, it's not safe. And he's like, what's safe? I'm just obeying Christ. And if it costs me, it costs me. This is why it's crucial. My life's no value. I don't consider it precious. When we're there, we'll follow him wherever he says to go and we'll do whatever he says to do. And that's crucial to an unwasted life. And then third question under this point, why does your greatest joy hinge on this? That doesn't sound very joy-inducing. Paul, it doesn't sound like you're walking into Chuck E. Cheese in uh, Jerusalem. That's not a place of joy either, parents, is it? How, why does really believing that counting my life of no value nor is precious to me means that I will follow Jesus into whatever he says to do and wherever he says to go, even if it costs me my very life. Why is your joy hinged to this? Here's why. Because you are on this earth to bring him glory. And at times, that will lead you into, into seasons of just blessing, and you'll go, God, Thank you. Look at all of this around me. At times that will lead us into times of hardship, times of suffering. Um, and yet our joy, will not, our joy will not crumble under those because you'll just go, I exist. I'm on this earth to obey you and to bring you glory. Whatever the consequences of that might be, you will be living out why you were created. And when you live out why you were created, joy. Joy. Now, I recognize this is not the message our culture bombards us with. When we walk out of here today and when we live all week, uh, the messages that will, be in, that will be infused into us over and over again, over again is you're, you're valuable. You are important. You should live to just make much of yourself. 
And what we're saying here today is actually your greatest joy is in saying my life has no value to me or it's not precious to me. Um, I want to convince us that living for God's greatest glory, for the gospel's greatest furtherance, is better and is a better investment than living to exalt or protect ourselves. And so help me out with a little exercise here, okay? I want this to illustrate that if we live to exalt and make much of ourselves, it is a futile pursuit, okay? Group participation. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you can... uh, if you know the first name of both of your parents. Raise your hand if you know the first name of both of your parents. Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Keep your hand up if you know all the first names of your grandparents, your immediate grandparents. Keep your hand up. If, you could, if someone asks you what are all the first names of all your grandparents. Keep your hand up if you can name all the first names of your great-grandparents, all of them, all great-grandparents. Okay, good. We still got some. We eliminate a lot of y'all, okay? I was eliminated on that one. Raise, keep your hand up if you can name all of the first names of all of your great, where am I, great-grandparents? Great-great-grandparents? Hands still up if you can name all the first names of all of your great-great-grandparents. Do I have anyone? Do I have any? Whoa, we got one. Wow. You are like an amazing studier of genealogy. We had one. You know what this tells us? Don't let this discourage you. Let this liberate you. In three to four generations, your own family will not remember your first name. You're like, freedom! How does that liberate me? No one's going to remember me. Why that is so liberating is because I think my life is so important. And I think like, man, like, there is one name that's going to endure from generation to generation to generation to generation. It's the name of Jesus. Let's give our lives to that name. When we get that, it liberates us to go, I no longer have to make decisions that exalt myself or preserve or protect myself. Let's just make decisions to exalt and preserve the gospel name of Jesus going farther. We can only get there if we really will consider our life of no value nor as precious to myself. And listen, this doesn't happen like this. You're not like, I heard a message on not valuing my life and like I was liberate, like fixed. This is like a constant, getting up every day, dying to myself again today. And not just again today, again this hour. And then I'm going to die to myself again like in this 15 minute increment. But that's the starting point, that we consider our life of no value. Now, back, back to your Bibles. All of that, where did I get all of that? Out of the first phrase of verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Now, we're going to get into the language here a bit, because it's important how the first two phrases of this verse are hinged or connected together. The connective tissue here is important. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only... I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Stop. So on the screen in front of us is the version I preach out of, the ESV version. And what it says is, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Those two words there connecting the first phrase to the second phrase are if only. 
If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Now, there's another translation of the Bible I use for study. I think it's a great study translation. It probably wouldn't be like my devotion translation, but it's a great study translation. It's called the NET. I want you to show you what the NET, how they translate this verse. I do not consider my life worth anything to myself. Next two words. So that. Why the NET um, translates that phrase right there so that is because there's a footnote. Click on the footnote. It says, a final particle indicating purpose. You're like, I'm so lost in the languages right now. What's the point? Here's the point. Paul says, in me not considering my life worth anything to myself, I can live out my purpose of finishing the course Jesus has called me to and doing the ministry he's called me to execute. This is the purpose. When we don't account our life of any value, we can then run the course and execute the ministry with fervor that Jesus has called us to. Write it down for us. Consider your life of no value, purpose, so that. So that you finish the course and ministry given you by Jesus. Now, it's important that we understand some things about this course and this ministry. Um, I want you to see that Paul says something. This is a very personal statement. He says, I don't count my life of any value so that I may finish my course and that I may do the ministry that Jesus gave me to do. The course that Christ called the Apostle Paul to run, the ministry that, uh, that Christ called the Apostle Paul to, is different than the course that God has called us to run and the ministry that he has given us to do. Um, we, all of us in this room, we have to get this, all of us in this room have a unique course given to us by Jesus and a unique ministry that Jesus has called us to execute. And we will only give our lives to that when we say, I'm dead. I'm dead to me. I don't care about all the five-year plans I've had for my life and all of these grandiose ideas. What I care about is believing wholeheartedly, Jesus, you have given me a course to run and you have given me ministry to do. I want to be about that. So three things about your course and ministry. Three things you need to know about your course and ministry today. Number one. You have to understand that you have unique spiritual gifts to build up the church. If, look at me, look at me. You're like, I'm writing it down, hold on. Um, Okay, finish writing down and then look at me. Um, If you are in Christ, if you know Jesus, it's not a matter of do I maybe have any spiritual gifts worthy of like giving to the, you have Jesus has given you spiritual gifts to be used to build up the church. This is part of the course in the ministry that he has called you to. Now, notorious, like, in the American church, I'm not talking Harvest, I'm talking Big C American church, we have, we have stunk up the joint at helping people identify what their gifts are and know how to exercise them within the body. Like, I just confess that to you. And it's on our pastor's meetings, uh, agenda items tomorrow. And like I wrote down this week a future sermon series idea on the spiritual gifts because I just don't think that like, the, the typical believer in America understands I have spiritual gifts to be used. 
And then, more crucial, if I don't use them, the body suffers. So if you're a hand and we don't have you exercising that gifts amongst us in the body, we are operating without a hand. If you're an eye, we're operating without an eye. The body suffers. Um, a couple of years ago, I got really into running, and then I got smart and gave that up. Um, <laughs> but I was, I was, as I start, as I start, I get into in, in and out of running, back and forth. I've still yet to experience this runner's high. Um, when I start to log a lot of miles, I get this crazy pain on the side of my knee. And any runner in here, they're like, oh, I know what that is. I didn't. So I would log more miles. I get this crazy pain on the side of my knee. And I'm trying to do knee exercises, right? And then um, my neighbor across the road is a cross-country coach. And he's like, oh, you need to strengthen your hips. I'm like, no, bro, you didn't hear me. My knee hurts. Yeah, you need to strengthen your hips. If you strengthen, it's an IT band. And if you strengthen your hips, it'll help with it. When one part of the body isn't functioning correctly, it puts strain on the other parts of the body. So when one part of us isn't exercising our spiritual gifts or using them, like it puts strain on another part of the body. You have unique spiritual gifts to build up the church. And um, we're going to figure out as pastors and elders how to help our congregation identify what those are and really release you into the joy of exercising those. Okay, that's part of the, the where am I getting all this? There's a course and a ministry Jesus has called you to. And part of it is understanding you have unique spiritual gifts. Secondly, you have unique mission fields to make Jesus known. Did you know you have relationships with unbelievers that no one else sitting in this room has? We all have unique mission fields to make Jesus known. It's part of the course and the ministry. Jesus said, I've given this to you. I've given you this mission field. Steward it well. Steward it well. This is what we mean when we talk about our scent campaign. Now, I, I want to be very clear what scent is all about because I fear what can happen is you launch a campaign like we did last spring called scent, and then we go, okay, okay, I got it. Go to church, check. Go to small group, check. Do something scent-y, check. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about another, like, religious thing, churchy thing. We're talking about as you go about the life that Jesus has called you to, be gospel proclaimers. So the rhythm of your week right now maybe brings you to a nursing home for the care of aging parents. Don't miss this unique season God has given to you to see that nursing home, the nurses that serve them, the other people who live there as people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus. Your unique, uh, maybe your rhythm of your week brings you into the stands of your kid's soccer game. And for an entire soccer season, you're going to sit in the stands with the same parents. Who, who has God sovereignly allowed you to sit right by week after week after week after week? That's there to build a relationship, 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 relationship for the purpose of sharing the gospel with. You have a unique mission field that Jesus has given to you. It's part of the course and ministry he's called you to. Thirdly, under this you have unique roles and responsibilities from Jesus to steward. 
Think about all the titles you hold in your life. You're, you might be son, daughter, mom, dad, employer, employee, friend, brother, sister. All of these titles that you have in your life are reminders to us of the roles and responsibilities that Jesus has called us to steward. We all in this room have a unique course and unique ministry given to us by Jesus. What, what, what's the connective tissue? Remember, we count our life of no value nor as precious so that for the purpose of us running with reckless abandon, the race, the course, and doing the ministry that Jesus has called us to do. We all have a unique course. We all have unique ministry. But then as Paul ends this verse, as Paul speaks the next line, he tells us that our course and our ministry, though it might be unique to us, it all has the same finish line. It has the same goal. It has the same aim. Verse 24 again. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only, or so that, I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. What's the goal? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Finish our outline now. Consider your life of no value. Why? So that you finish the course and ministry given you by Jesus. What's the goal with the goal of this? Testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. This is how we don't waste our life. That I go, I'm dead to me. I don't care anymore if I'm well liked. I don't care anymore if, 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 if seeing the great end of life is just accumulating as much stuff as I can while I live here. I don't care anymore of having an end, at the end of my life, people saying like, what a name, what a legacy. What I care about is exalting Christ and running the course he's given me. And as I run that course, I just want to make his gospel known. More of Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus. What does it mean to testify? It means this, to give evidence as a witness. What is, good, what is gospel? Gospel is good news. What is grace? It's this gift we don't deserve. Or it's this unmerited favor. So Paul says, my life's not valuable to me. I'm just running the course that Jesus has given me. And as I run this course, here's all I'm called to do. I'm called to bear witness, to testify to this good news message that he saved all of us by his grace. Unmerited favor. There's nothing we did to earn it. He just poured it out on us. Like, the world is dying to hear that in their heart. There's so many people, church, in our family, in our workplaces, in our schools, all around us who are trying to figure out, even if they're not vocalizing it, they're trying to figure out, how good do I have to be to get right with God? Testify to the gospel of God's grace. Tell them. The gospel of God's grace tells us this, that every one of us in here were utterly hopeless. Just reading in my personal Bible study time back through Genesis. And I hate Satan. 
like, where did that come from? I just hate the deception. Do you know what he's doing in Genesis? He goes, did God really say that? Did God really say that? And he's just undermining God's word. And then our first mom and dad, sin, sin enters the world. This makes us utterly hopeless. We are dead. The Bible says we are dead in our sin. What can dead people do to bring themselves back to life? Nada. Enter hope. And hope had a name, and his name is Jesus. And he came, and he died on a cross. He bore the penalty that our sin deserved. He, he died, buried, looked finished, and then he rose again. And in rising again, he gives us hope, hope for life. And then God, out of his goodness to us, he says, do you want to know my son Jesus? Believe, on him, believe in him on faith. Believe in him. Accept his grace for you. There's two people in this room here today. Those of you who walked in here as Christians who needed to hear a message on how we not waste our life, but consider it dead to ourselves so we can go run the course Jesus has given us. Another, uh, the other group of people walked in here, you were dead in your sin. Listen, you don't have to be dead anymore. You're like, I'm not dead, I'm alive. I know, I know, but you know this. In your heart, you felt dead. You don't have to be dead anymore. God is calling you to life today. How do you receive this life? By calling on the name of Jesus in faith. What do I say? Call to him. He knows how to translate. Say, God, I see my, I, God, I've never done this. I don't know how this works, but here we go. I see my sin has killed me. I'm spiritually dead. I need you to save me. And guess what? He is faithful to come and save. Cry out to him today. Let's not waste our lives. How do we do that? We count ourselves dead to ourselves. My life has no value. Why? So I run the course Jesus gave me. Why? For the purpose of testifying to his grace. As I close, I want to give you two examples from Scripture. These are two examples from one chapter of Scripture. I'll put them on the screen. Just, just you sit there and, and, and read them with me. Two examples from the same chapter of Scripture. One man, I'm arguing, has wasted his life. The other group has not wasted it in the greatest way you cannot waste it. The first example of the man who wasted his life. Now someone came up to him, this is Jesus, and he said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to gain eternal life? He said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He asked. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. If you've always been confused by Jesus answering the rich young ruler like that, he's just drawing out his heart here. The young man, the rich young ruler said, I've wholeheartedly obeyed all these laws. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away, what's it say? Sorrowful. He went away sad, for he was very rich. Why did he go away sad? 
Scripture calls us the rich young ruler. He's rich, full of resources. Resources aplenty. He's young. He has his whole life ahead of him. He's a ruler. He has power. And he walks away sad. And yet everyone who didn't know Jesus around him probably went, what a life. What a life. What a life. He's rich. He's young. He's a ruler. What a life. And God says, what a waste. What a waste. So you're going to walk away and you're still going to have all of your riches and all your life ahead of you and all of your power and yet you would not follow me. Now right on the heels of this, look at what happens. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples were greatly astonished when they heard this and they said, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and replied, this is impossible for mere humans, but for God all things are possible. Now, see Peter. See, don't just hear Peter. See Peter. Then Peter said to him, look, <laughs> um, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, in the age when all things are renewed, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And whoever has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus walked around with this vagabond group of young fishermen. They had nothing. Jesus, where are we staying tonight? Uh, pull up that rock. Get some Z's. And people, no doubt in their day, look at these guys. They have nothing. What a waste. And God says, what a life. What a life. This is not waste. To follow him wherever he says to go and in whatever he says to do is not a waste. And the promises of reward for eternity outnumber anything we've given up here, folks. This is how we don't waste our life. God, my life has no value to me. God, I want to run the course you've given me, whatever that might cost me. And God, all I want to do with all the years you've given me is just testify to the grace of God and be all about your glory. Let's give our lives to that today. So church, stand to your feet. this just turns from a sermon that happened at church Sunday and then we went home and ate lunch and watched football and on with another week, is if we really believe in our heart that Jesus is so supremely valuable that he's worthy of me dying to myself to follow him in whatever he wants. In our flesh, we want to exalt ourselves. We want to preserve ourselves. Our heart must be overcome right now 
the truth of the matter that there's only one name that is higher, there's only one name that is stronger than any grave, than any throne, Christ, Christ, Christ be exalted over all. Let's sing that as our prayer right now. One name is higher, one name is stronger than any grave, than any throne. Christ exalted over all. That this week we would believe that so powerfully in our heart that we would really give God a blank check with our life. Excuse the cliche. That we would really say, you are to be exalted over all. I'll go wherever you say. I'll do whatever you want because my life doesn't matter. My great-grandkids won't even know my name. And yet your name will endure forever and ever, generation after generation. I want to give my life to that. Let's tell them that this week and then let's actually, 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 actually not just let this be a Sunday sermon, but something, a verse from scripture that will hang our life on that will have changed the trajectory of where we're going. Church, raise your voice. Let's sing it.